Coming up. Coming up. Coming up. Coming up. My top 10 films of 2019. Some fresh, well-seasoned perspective. Enjoy the comfort of an awesome listening experience. You'll be in podcast heaven as you listen to our film and food review of Ratatouille. Julie and Julia. The 100-foot journey. The trip. Big Night. The founder. Parasite. Some quick bites on Hamilton, Casablanca, Tiger King, The Last Dance, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Lots of Children, A Monkey, and A Castle. Tenet. The Good Place, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, Straight Food Latin America, Three Identical Strangers, Citizen Kane, The Trial of the Chicago 7, Five Bloods, The Way Back, Schitt's Creek, and Kim's Convenience Store. The Fantasy Film and Food Draft, Tarantino Edition. Our new format, Triple Threat. Coming up, our one-year birthday celebration, the first annual Film and Food Awards, and my top 10 films of 2020 in this very packed episode of the Film and Food Podcast. Welcome everyone. Welcome everyone. Welcome everyone. Welcome everyone. Hello and welcome back to the Film and Food Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you again. And thank you again. And thank you again for joining us for this special moment. For this week's episode. For joining us in episode three. Episode four. Episode five. Episode six. Episode seven. Episode eight. Episode nine. Episode ten. Episode eleven. Episode twelve. Episode thirteen. Episode fourteen. Welcome everyone to the Film and Food Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Roberts, and thank you again for joining us for episode 15. And this episode, of course, marks a very special moment. Exactly a year ago on this day, we released our first episode, Ratatouille, a film and food review. So, happy first birthday to the Film and Food Podcast. What a year it has been. This started as an idea in the middle of the coronavirus lockdown last year, a combination of two of my biggest passions, film and food. We started small and very humble. The first episode was recorded on a cheap lapel mic in a cubby that I made under my dining room table with my couch cushion. Mind you, the podcast is still humble and independent. However, now we've got a great Rode microphone and I've picked up on some editing and podcast tips along the way. I think now we have a pretty well-produced podcast. Another great milestone for us over the past year is that we now have a monthly film and food column in our local Northern Beaches Tawny Frogmouth magazine. So on this massively packed episode, I will share the first annual film and food awards celebrating the 2020 film year, as well as my top 10 films of 2020. But before that, let's look back and celebrate the year that has been for the film and food podcast. Our episodes have been listened to over 1,300 times in the past year, and we have listeners from 25 countries across the globe. In terms of our episodes, in the last year, we made eight film and food reviews, three Quick Bites episodes, one fantasy film and food draft, one triple threat episode, and of course, my top 10 films of 2019 episode. Next year, we want to keep doing all of these different formats and try some new things, so stay tuned to what we've got coming in the new year. We've also had some sensational guests on the show. Firstly, I had my amazing wife, Beth, who was one of the main inspirations for the podcast. Coming on the show as we started the podcast off, she was in our episodes on Ratatouille, Julie and Julia, The 100 Foot Journey, and The Trip, 
plus she gave a lot of reactions to the food that I've tried at home. In this episode, we have my lovely wife, Bethany, joining us to share her insights. Listen to our conversation as we discuss Beth's contribution to the film and food review. More giving me the food side of the film (laughs) rather than the film side. Is that right? That's right. Kitchen inspiration. Kitchen inspiration. I'll be the collet to your linguine. My wife, Beth, however, has a more vivid and somewhat more disturbing remembrance of the first time that she watched Ratatouille. I remembered was that when I first watched it, it was at an outdoor cinema in Broome and we were in deck chairs and it was a balmy evening and just as the sun was setting and making silhouettes, a rat's rats ran across the wall that bounded the outdoor cinema. <laughs> and I also remember laughing a lot and really enjoying the movie, but I'd forgotten all of the plot and lots of those cute moments. So I really enjoyed rewatching have my first ever returning guest my lovely wife bethany is joining me again my lovely wife bethany is back again two episodes in a row to share her insights with us on this week's film yes you've taken a big punt on this series it kept popping up on lists of best movies with film and field and film and food and you've just gone all in and ordered all four blu-rays yes two of them didn't come in blu-rays but yes it is kind of the tradition that I'm having so far, which is to buy the physical media of every movie I've watched in the podcast. Maybe that might have to stop continuing at some point, but... Or we need to build a museum. It just depends how, how long the podcast goes for. That's true. Then I had the amazing Jonathan Ford on our chef episode. Well, today we have a brand new guest on the Film and Food podcast. He is a food writer... Form, well, food. For, former, former food writer. Former food writer. I'll take it though. Food lover, film lover, Jonathan Ford. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks, Chris. No worries. <laughs> Jono, tell me, tell me about food writing. How'd you get into that? Well, yeah, it's I uh, look. I have to admit, right now, I, I'm not in the business, um, but I was um, very wholeheartedly in the business. Uh, maybe about three years ago. Um, I was writing for a few prominent um, food, uh, event, cultural um, publications in Sydney. Um, I did a bit for SBS, which was cool. Um, some, on, some of their online food stuff. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a great role. I, I got to interview some of Sydney and Melbourne's best uh, restaurant owners and uh, chefs. Um, and yeah, you know, I got to try some really good food as well. Uh, yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Would you ever give a five star review? Well, I think if I my mind was truly blown, I think I would probably give a five star review. If I was happy to recommend it to anyone who, if I, anyone had walked past in the street or any of my friends and family, you know, I would give them a five star review and say, this is the best restaurant I've been to. I had fellow podcaster Nick Charlie Key on for our Big Night episode. Well, I am so excited to welcome the host of the Fantastic History of Food podcast onto the show, Nick Charlie Key. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Hey, thanks so much for coming and taking the time. And they took us up into the, the one day one of his friends, this guy called Giuseppe, who could speak no English, took us um, all in this big bus and he, he kind of drove us up into the mountains to this restaurant up on this hill in the middle of nowhere. So, it's, you know, I think we, it was a massive restaurant. It was so weird because it was the middle of summer. 
massive restaurant. We were a big table of, you know, 10 or 12 because we had some some add-ons. And um, But there was maybe two or three other people in the whole restaurant. And so um, they just really really packed it on for us and so watching that that big feast scene on the big night was so reminiscent of this this afternoon that we kind of spent from about one in the afternoon until about eight o'clock that night non-stop eating and they would just bring out dish after dish after dish after dish and so you get to kind of dish four or five and you're going already like oh man i shouldn't have eaten as much as i did in dish two and you don't realize, but there's still about another five dishes to come out. It's like a ten-course meal, and eventually we got to the we got to the point where um, I saw we all started hiding our plates away so they could stop dishing up food because they just would refuse to not let you eat. And so the guy, the one, the one, uh, the head chef kind of came out, and um, he had these. Oh, they were like, I think they were like meatball type things. But he he kind of came around. He saw we didn't have plates, and he started freaking out. So he just went and grabbed forks. And he just started sticking these meatballs onto forks and handing them out like little meat lollipops to everyone. <laughs> where can my listeners, probably less listeners than you, but where can my listeners go and find <laughs> your podcast or your work? How can they find you on the internet? Um, yeah, so for my podcast, The Fantastic History of Food is pretty much available on all of the major platforms. Um, I have a website at foodhistorypodcast.com. I'm also on Twitter at foodhistorypod. Uh, on Facebook as well and on Instagram, but I don't really do Instagram as much as I do Twitter and uh, Facebook. But um, yeah, I mean, you can just go f- go search for it on on any or whatever platform people tend to use. I think I've um, I'm about to hit episode twenty now, so I release kind of on a two week schedule just because you know it's like it's not my full time job. I, d- I do this as a hobby in the evenings, and so the researching takes a lot of time. So um, there's a lot of stuff there that you can kind of listen to and. Uh, I just try to take, for people who don't know it, I, I just try to find interesting stories uh, from history that somehow involve food. And so it's not it's not necessarily a food history podcast like, in, you know, what is the history of this cuisine or what is the history of this ingredient? It's more like not, uh, Hitler during World War II once had a plan to try and monopolize the margarine market. And he did that by potentially trying to go and corral a whole bunch of whales down in Antarctica. So it's crazy, weird stories from history that people maybe have never heard about that somehow involve food. And so that's just a little brief overview. In episode 10, I had Andrew Lingley and Corey McMahon on the show for our first ever fantasy film and food draft. And so as much as I love dairy, as much as I love the other three options, I feel like, you know, one, I'm having a sandwich. I can only think of, I don't, I don't think of any times where I've gone to a cafe and ordered a sandwich and a milkshake. It's either been like a sandwich and a coffee, which again is a bitter, bitter option like beer, or it's been something sweet with my milkshake. And so I feel like I'm going to go for the beer just because I can't think of a time where milk would be good with a sandwich. Um, in that way again the other three fantastic options and i i you know maybe if i had something else for my main meal they'd go well with it but i feel like a beer would go well with a nice sandwich i already know my answer for this one so i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna go for the milk from inglorious bastards um for a number of reasons for a number of reasons firstly after eating two hearty meals um it's gonna help me wash it all down into my system but also i um i've just looked up you know health benefits from milk firstly 
amazing complexion. Secondly, strong teeth, right? Third, healthy bones helps avoid fractures, which let's be honest, if you're in a Quentin Tarantino film, your bones are going to get fractured. Uh, muscle growth, you definitely need some muscles in a Tarantino flick. Uh, reduces stress. I feel like all the characters in Tarantino films are stressed. Uh, it's an energy booster, you know, so you can keep fighting the battles that are raging on. Uh, eliminates heartburn. You know, you don't want to be fighting an enemy or running away and, you know, stop and get heartburn in the middle of a chase sequence. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I'm going to go for, the milk uh, in Inglorious Bastards. But also, I feel like, like Christoph Waltz, it's a bit of a baller move, a grown man ordering a cup of milk out anywhere. So I'm going to go for that. And before we move on, I just want to read this Instagram comment from my dad who says, Love listening to the conversations and introducing me to movies I would never think to see. I really love the film and food draft concept. Please bring another one on. Well, Dad, we definitely will do that. And thanks for being a fan of the show and always faithfully listening to my episodes. I had Charlie Bennett on for our episode on The Founder. Back to 2021, New Year, and first podcast episode of the year we are welcoming charlie bennett hello how do you do i'm very good just ate some good burgers which we'll talk about later it's either when you first saw the mcdonald's burger actually probably is when you first saw the mcdonald's burger getting made tell me about it when i saw it my mouth was watering. walk me step by step (laughs) through this scene so I was sitting down watching the movie and I was looking at them make the burger and I was thinking, damn, that looks good. I'm seeing the patty and I'm seeing the exact precise five drops of tomato sauce, five drops of American mustard, two pickles, onion on top, then you put the other bun, put the patty on that, put the burger top on it, you put it down the chute and I'm thinking... Macca's is probably two minutes down the road for me. I could drive the Macca's right now and order the Macca's hamburger. And just last month, I had Clayton Waters on for our Parasite episode. Clayton, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, mate. This is really, really exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about Waters to Beers, a bit of the story. Yeah, well... um... Yeah, so I just live on the beaches um, here in Freshwater. Um, obviously, attend Manly Life Church. And um, yeah, I've been here for like nearly two and a half years now, um, which has just been awesome. I work in, in health. And um, yeah, it's in a weird way. That's kind of how Waters to Beers came around. It seems weird to say health and, and beer in the same sentence. But um, in my, I suppose, one of my first main jobs, I was doing a lot of travel um, around New South Wales. And I was getting pretty sick of... Um, you know, just being in hotels and uh, hotel food. And, and I always had this like curiosity for, for beer. And there was just something that um, I think my old man, um, when we were when we started drinking beer, would always drink the international stuff. And that was always different because we we're used to drinking, you know, the Australian um, beers, you know, the extra dries and the, the VBs and stuff. So we wanted to try something, something different. I suppose that's where it all stemmed from. And what I started to do instead of eating in hotels was I looked up breweries around town. So I might be in Armadale, 
um, for example, and I'll, I'll go to the Welder's Dog um, Brewery. I'll, I'll be in Port Macquarie and I'll go down to Moore Brewing or I'll go to Black Duck Brewery or, or, or something along those lines. Um, yeah, just to look for something different. Um, look for some different food and um, also just to try the local produce, really. Um, the beers that were created um, in the area that you know we might not get um, in Sydney. And so obviously, you know, when I was, I was traveling, you know, nearly twice, three times a week to, to regional towns um, on a lot of planes and a lot of small towns. Um, and I was having these beers and I was like, you know what? I think there's got to be a way for me to remember these. You know, I was even taking notes at one point to like, oh, I remember that beer. Oh, that was really, really nice. I could try and find it. I thought, yeah, what, what, how can I, how can I make a record of this? What can I, what can I do? And I ummed and ahed with the idea for, for ages, uh, for so long. I was like, no one would care, you know, it's, um, you know, no one would look at it. And then in my mind, I was like, you know what, stuff it. I don't really care if no one wants to look at it. This is, this is for my, me, this is my, um, you know, in your passion project. Um, this is one of my creative outlets. Um, I didn't have a creative outlet, you know, I'm, I'm no good at music, I'm no good at drawing, I'm no good at painting, um, and me, you know, drinking beer and then having to construct words of how I felt and what I taste um, was something I was really excited about and actually really helped me in my corporate world to understand, you know, how do I get, how do I use words better? Now, let's talk about food. Over the past year, we have made 21 film-inspired recipes for you to try at home. They are all up on our website and in our social media. From ratatouille to frozen yogurt to cinnamon buns, we have well and truly provided a bountiful selection of recipes for you to get in the kitchen. Here's a compilation of some of our favorite film-inspired recipe moments on the show. We need to talk about this week's recipe, which is, of course, for ratatouille. So delicious. I'm dying and I'm going to eat all of it. <laughs> it's really good. It's like the texture. The herbs have gotten a little bit crunchy at top. The vegetable is so tender. The tomato sauce is like subtly spicy somehow and delicious and velvety and I just need another bite so I can confirm for you. Julia Child's Boof Bourguignon. Dad to share his reaction to my beef bourguignon. This Boof Bourguignon is amazing. I've never had a Boof Bourguignon so good. Uh -huh. Stop it. <laughs> This is my mum's reaction to the beef bourguignon. Mum, what do you so think? Delicious. It is, it's delicious. It's really delicious. That's much better than the one on the television and cooked by a much better looking person too. And then finally, this is Beth's reaction to the beetroot bourguignon. How is the beet bourguignon? It's absolutely delicious. I've never had a beetroot like it before and I'll be requesting it frequently. Okay, honey. So I've cooked the dish this week. Uh, it's this beautiful orange colour and you can see all the different herbs and spices. Uh, I'm sure it's going to taste amazing. Alright, I'll let Jasmine you have your first rice. bite. Oh yeah, nice, nice basmati to accompany. Sorry, basmati. Um, okay, right, here we go. You. I think you've... <coughs> <laughs> okay, folks, I did halve the chilli. But the chilli is just right, I think. This nice little burn but it's full of flavour, packs a really beautiful punch. I like the little texture of the peas and the texture of the cauliflower. It's nice and soft and just everything you want a curry to be. Mm. Amazing. 
yeah, I'm really happy with it. It's a good mix of like the sweetness from the tomatoes mm. and spice and food than me. a subtlety um, with the little charred bits on the cauliflower. I like to expand your horizons here, and this one may be out of your comfort zone, but just the sight of seeing a purple pickled egg is something that's worth making these, even if you don't like eating them when it comes to eating them. And it has a little bit of an American revolutionary soldier kind of flair to the dish. Now, this is a beautiful, rich cake, and I've made this gluten-free because my wife is gluten-free, but in the recipe card, you're going to find a gluten-free and a non-gluten-free version, and this is just the perfect treat for you to watch The Last Black Man in San Francisco with and enjoy a San Francisco-style coffee cake. I highly recommend the icing. The cake had a really light, tasty crumb and complexity from the nice sugars you used and beautiful coffee flavour throughout. It was just really well-balanced and yummy and perfect with a cup of tea. There's a very funny little talking head in the documentary where Hulita talks about not being able to sleep. And so at 3am, she just resorts to having a chorizo sandwich. And I thought, what a perfect snack to be able to watch with this documentary. And so this is a quick, easy and delicious recipe using the great chorizo Spanish sausage. So we've got a Cubano, got a Cubano in my hand right now, half of a half. Um, it's got the carved... Uh, barbecue pork was it yeah and it's it's delicious it's kind of like the carvings of a christmas ham um nice and chunky it's got a, a slice of swiss cheese um the pickled dill right here and mustard on both sides and it looks like he slathered butter on both sides like in the film so I think this is pretty genuine. Um, taste? Taste is good because you've got like the veggie, like the kind of the tanginess of the dill. You've got the like the nice barbecue flavor of the pork with the cheese. Like, Hear how you go making this dish. This dish is inspired by a scallop dish that we had on our honeymoon in Lord Howe Island and uses the beautiful flavors of tomato to enrich the delicious scallop. So if you don't believe me, I made this for lunch for Beth a few days ago and listened to her reaction to eating these scallops. So delicious. I was a big fan. The salsa was really amazing. So zingy and beautiful. And I was really surprised by what was in it. It came together so well. It tasted really complex. Um, and the scallops were just amazing. Totally nailed the amount of cooking time. They were just golden on the outside and lovely when you bit into them banana berry frozen yogurt touch of honey touch of mint uh in the good place it's a bit of a joke that froyo is a kind of average food now i want to hear your thoughts on my froyo it is delicious and absolutely not an average food it's so creamy it's really yummy ice cream sometimes a little bit disappointing because you think it's going to be creamy and then it's not but this is super satisfying just delicious now, Australia is going into summer. What would you recommend that our listeners eat to cool down? Eat this for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Afternoon tea, morning tea and second breakfast too, if you must. Okay, honey. I've been in the kitchen. I've gone on many grocery trips to recreate 
this iconic tricolor risotto from the movie Big Night, and you are now tasting it. Tell me your thoughts. Amazing. I couldn't decide which one to try first. In the end, I went with the pesto. It's so yummy, really fresh and zingy, and the basil's really beautiful. And then I tried the tomato one, and I think the creaminess really comes through in that one. It was really fresh and bright. Um, And then I tried the beautiful mushroom one, and wow, those porcini mushrooms um, are beautiful, aren't they? Mm. Really nice, rich flavor, and just being able to um, alternate between bites of all three is really special and decadent, really, to have three different risottos. Okay, so I recreated the meal that I drafted from the Fantasy Film and Food Draft. This is the Monday after we did the episode. Uh, This is a Monday after we recorded the episode. And so today I made a bowl of macaroni cheese from an Australian boxed brand of mac and cheese called Kraft. The the cheese sauce was a just this yellow, unnatural looking blob that I put into my macaroni. I made a $5 shake with a scoop of ice cream that I actually got from an ice creamery where I live in Manly and some fresh whipped cream and half a banana and some cinnamon and served it with a little bit of whipped cream on top. And that was a delicious shake that had proper real ice cream in it and was probably worth about 5 to $10 in Australian money. So that was also delicious. And then finally, I created what was probably the best thing out of my whole meal, which was the apple strudel. Using frozen puff pastry and an apple filling that I made I created this beautiful latticed apple strudel and a little bit of cream on top because you can't you can't forget the cream and I would have eaten the whole apple strudel that I made it was incredibly delicious the sauce was so rich and and the flavor you could taste the cinnamon you could taste the cooked apple that was soft and really beautiful and the pastry was just crispy and flaky and just so so delicious and the cream added just a nice nice touch And the bun that you get is fluffy and soft. It's filled with amazing, amazing cinnamon sugar mixture and an incredible icing to put on top. These are an absolute delight and such a treat to eat while you watch Schitt's Creek. Okay, well, this is a true independent podcast when you um, spill your ginger beer onto the Computer. computer. So if you don't get this episode out and the episode quits... The show quits after this, you know, it's because I don't have a laptop anymore. Can't think of the word. Damn it. Um, I just like it. I like the pineapple. I like the beetroot. I like the mix of all those different flavors, the sweetness. And I like how there's the meat patty mixed with the pineapple. And it's different. However, it's just works so well together. And I love it. Do I try the fries? Oh, my. I'm excited to try these. I've been staring at these quite a bit. So this is a bit of a vegetarian twist on the Goodfellas prison sauce. Of course, you heard that that had three types of meat in it. I created something more conducive to a weeknight meal. Delicious. It's a really gorgeous sauce, very fresh and kind of nice, vibrant flavors. Um, The zucchini and asparagus was cooked to perfection, like just still retaining some bite and crunchiness. Um, And then plenty of parmesan just sealed the deal for me. So nice. Why don't you eat and then I'm going to get the reaction. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. Nice spice to that noodles. That's really, really nice. That sirloin is so good. Oh, wow. Yeah, that sirloin. Oh, it's super juicy, isn't it? Actually, mm. I'm actually not minding that combo. That is I hate really... to say it and, you know, say that the rich people are right in this movie, but <laughs> <laughs> it's actually yeah. pretty good. Give me cheap noodles, but then add some really, really expensive steak on it. Man, this is they're on, maybe they're onto something here. Finally, let's talk about ratings. Last year, we reviewed eight films in depth for the Film and Food podcast, giving them scores out of 10 for both their food and film quality. And I also have my guest give ratings out of 10 for the film and the food. So this gives us a total out of 40 for the movie to test whether it is a good film and food movie. So let's recap from the top to the bottom our ratings for the eight movies we reviewed last year. At the bottom, with a score of 21 out of 40, was The Trip. It was safe to say that even it showed some promise, Beth and I definitely weren't a fan and we didn't end up reviewing the other movies. Next, at a score of 30.5 out of 40, is The 100 Foot Journey, which we also both really loved. So if that is the second lowest movie we've watched all year, you know we've had a great year. At number six, with 32.5 out of 40, is The Founder. Then at number five and number four is Big Night and Chef, who both got scores of 34.5 out of 40. And both are absolutely incredible film and food movies. At number three, we have Julie and Julia with 35.5 out of 40. At number two, we had Parasite, which nearly got the perfect score, 39 out of 40. And then finally, the ultimate film and food movie, the quite fittingly, the first movie we ever reviewed exactly a year ago, Ratatouille got the perfect score, 40 out of 40, and it's hard to disagree with giving it a perfect rating. It is the definition of a film and food movie. And yes, it has been a great year of podcasting, and I can't wait to continue to grow the show and give you more amazing film and food content. One of my new goals for this next year is to get more involved with my audience. So if you have listened to this show, if you have rated it or reviewed it or shared it, or even just told someone about the show, then thank you. We want to hear from you too. What has been your favorite thing about the show? What has been your favorite recipe or your favorite format? How can we continue to improve this show and make it better for you at home? So we are going to start getting more involved in our social media and using our episodes as a way to interact with our fans. So stay tuned for that. And once again, thank you to everyone who has listened and supported the show. We can't wait to continue to grow it. And I can't wait to share the rest of this episode with you. Now that we've celebrated one year of the Film and Food podcast, it's time for the first annual Film and Food Awards. This is where we look back on the 2020 year of film and celebrate the best film and food moments, food, drinks, food scenes, all of that kind of thing. This is the award show specifically dedicated to the best food in movies. And we do this in a number of different categories. Best food, best drink, best food and drink scene, the best film and food movies of 2020. We have it all covered. And so now... Let's talk about our nominees and our winners in all of those different categories. So compared to 2019, the 2020 film year 
didn't give us many amazing film and food movies and not quite as a huge selection of food and drink in movies. 2019 had at least three or four absolutely stellar film and food movies come out. However, there is still some gold to be mined in the 2020 film year and this is what we're going to talk about in these categories. So the first category that I want to do is best drink. Our category for best drink, the nominees are Mountain Dew from Minari, Ice Cold Coca-Cola from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Spit Coffee from Promising Young Woman, and Mank, The Way Back, and Another Round, all being movies about alcoholics where there is lots and lots of drinking. And the winner for best drink goes to the ice cold Coca-Cola from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Okay, Ma, we're ready to go. Where's my Coke? Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, boys. Where's my Coke? I need a Coke. Hard as it is, shoot. I need Coke. What's the matter, Ma? Where's my Coke? I need a Coke, Coca-Cola. Uh, Ma, look. I forgot the Coke. Let's do it without it, huh? Just this one song. What say, boys? Damn what the band say. You're supposed to have my Coca-Cola. You knew that. This was a hard choice. It was a pretty good year for drinks in movies. And I wanted to save a win for Minari in another category. So I wanted to give the drink Ice Cold Coca-Cola from Marini's Black Bottom the win here. The way that Coca-Cola is used in this movie by Marini as a symbol of her power and her way of controlling the people who are trying to control her as she's recording this album is both thematic and a very hilarious moment in this movie and Viola Davis fully commits to the part in her performance and so this is my best drink winner for 2020. Okay, our next category is best food. So the nominees are Oily Cakes from First Cow, The Breakfast Sandwich from Birds of Prey, Eggs and Truffle from The Truffle Hunters, and The Chicken from The Father. Admittedly, lots of movies this year had food in the periphery, but these four nominees are the best examples of food being used as part of the plot in each of these movies. So, the winner for best food is Oily Cakes from First Cow. Not only have I recreated the oily cakes in my second ever article for the Tawny Frogmouth, so I've actually eaten this food in real life as it appears on screen, but the oily cakes is the central part of the plot in the movie First Cow. So we may be talking about First Cow a little bit more later, but well done First Cow on taking out the best food of 2020 award with your incredible oily cakes over to the best food slash drink scene. Sometimes there's crossover between our best drinks and our best food into this category, but how does the food and drink incorporate into a scene? This is what we're looking at in this movie. So our nominees, we have the breakfast sandwich scene from Birds of Prey. It is just so well photographed. It is tantalizing in the way it just goes through all the ingredients and giving us that amazing sandwich. And it is perfectly thematic to Harley Quinn's journey in that film. We have the Minari Mountain Dew scene. 
I don't want to spoil this if you haven't seen Minari, but there is a scene where a certain bodily liquid is swapped with Mountain Dew and is given to the grandma in the movie, and it is one of the funniest scenes in all of 2020 and definitely worth a nominee spot. We also have Dogs Searching for Truffles from the Truffle Hunters. This is one of the most underrated documentaries of the year and is a foodie's delight, and they strapped GoPros to the dogs that search for the truffles in this scene, and so we get a point-of-view look at how these dogs go and search for truffles. It's definitely one of the most unique pieces of cinema I've seen all year and is worthy of a nomination spot. The next nominee is Cookie talking to Eve the cow while stealing her milk. First Cow is one of my favorite movies of the year. It's definitely going to feature in my top 10. And this is one of the most tender, beautiful scenes of the whole movie. We see Cookie just talking gently to Eve the cow in the middle of the night while he's getting the milk for his oily cakes for the next day. And just the warmth, the tenderness, the kindness, and the compassion shown by Cookie and Eve in their relationship just sums up what this movie is about, which is just this movie full of warmth and friendship whilst battling with the cold forces of capitalism and the people that control and own Eve the Cow and the land. Definitely worthy of a nomination spot. What is the best food slash drink scene of 2020? Well, we are giving the award to the Minari Mountain Dew scene. I kind of told you a bit earlier that this may be the case, but this had my theatre audience absolutely howling, and it does play into some of the themes of David's relationship with his grandma in the movie, and he's one of the most memorable scenes of 2020. So well done, Minari, on winning the best food slash drink scene of 2020. Finally, the best film and food movies of 2020. Here are the three nominees. Minari, First Cow, and The Truffle Hunters. And the winner of the best film and food movie of 2020, which will come as no surprise, is First Cow. I'm going to save most of my thoughts for First Cow later on in the episode, but this is definitely one of the best film and food movies we've seen and is just a huge recommendation from me. So go and check that out. And well done, First Cow, on winning the first ever Film and Food Award for Best Film and Food Movie. Well, we've celebrated the best food and drink of the year 2020. Now it's time to move on to the highly anticipated top 10 films of 2020 list. Of course, the year of 2020 was one that was absolutely dominated by the coronavirus, COVID-19. This impacted the way that we all watched movies, it impacted the cinema industry, it impacted what movies were released in the year 2020. A lot of big movies, a lot of blockbusters, a lot of high prestige pictures that were looking for Oscars attention and looking for blockbuster numbers all moved to 2021, which allowed a few great independent movies to rise up and get lots of attention that they maybe would have missed out on in the usual crowded year filled with all of these big filmmakers. So this was really an opportunity for a few more independent movies to shine out, and you will see a few of those in my list. In terms of what I watched in 2020, I only got around to seeing 23 films from the 2020 year. As I said last year, I thought last year was a bit of a down year by only reaching 
kind of the high 20s. Whereas my life, working full-time job, being married, all of those things means that I only got to see that many movies and here are some of the films that aren't going to feature on my list because I'd never got a chance to go and see it. Here are some of the movies I didn't see. Sound of Metal, Another Round, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always, Wolf Walkers, Time, Pieces of a Woman, On the Rocks, and Dick Johnson is Dead. So those are some of the movies that I am not going to feature on this list because I haven't seen them. Um, I've heard good things about all of them, so definitely go check them out. And I'm looking forward to catching up on them when I have the time. We're almost ready to dive into the list, but I did want to mention a few movies, some honorable mentions that didn't make it to my list this year. So those are The 40-Year-Old Version was my number 11 film, and it didn't make it. It is one of the best movies of the year. It is readily available on Netflix, and it is a major feature debut by Ryder Blank, who acts, directs, and writes the movie, and... I just can't recommend it enough. Go and check it out. Another honorable mention is Mank, the new David Fincher film that came out. I watched Citizen Kane in preparation for this, and I really, really do appreciate a lot of Mank. It just wasn't enough to get it into my top 10. My other two honorable mentions are Judas and the Black Messiah, an amazing performance by Daniel Kaluuya, who went on to win the Oscar, and Lakeith Stanfield with amazing cinematography. This is a really great movie. The screenplay let it down a bit, and so it just didn't make it into my top 10. Another honorable mention, my last honorable mention, is Minari. I really did love Minari. I love the score by Emil Mosseri. I love all the performances. The cast is absolutely incredible. It just didn't make it into my top 10, so go and check that out if you can. All of that said, let's dive into my top 10 films of 2020. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. No, it's no place for white men either. I sense opportunity here. Good Lord, give me another. I'll give you six ingots for that last one. I taste London in this game. We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm gonna get out of this. Suit yourself. See you tomorrow. Y'all back up and leave Levy alone. Oh, come on, Levy. We was all just having fun. Toledo ain't said nothing about you. He ain't said about me. You just taking it all wrong. <laughs> ain't meant nothing by it, Levy. Levy got to be Levy. You don't need nobody messing with him about the white. You don't know nothing about me. You don't know, Levy. You don't know nothing about what kind of blood I got, what kind of heart I got beat here. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. I and they sometimes call you nomads. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life just remembering. things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I've met hundreds of people out here and I don't ever say a final goodbye. Let's just say I'll, I'll see you down the road. Yes! Woohoo! You see that? 
from the park, sings what he got through, they're gonna be fine. But the cops, the cops are gonna be a half inch from losing their fucking minds, because Daly's gonna wind them up to make sure of it. We're going to Chicago peacefully. We're going peacefully. But if we're met there with violence, you better believe that we're gonna meet that violence with non-violence. Always non-violence, and that's without exception. Number 10, we have One Night in Miami. You got it, you got it. Sounds so good, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the sound of the man working on the chain. The gang. That's the sound of the man working on the chain. Coming off her Best Supporting Actress win in 2018, Regina King has been absolutely killing it, being on Watchmen, winning Emmys, doing all sorts of things. But she also just released her first feature film, her directorial debut in One Night in Miami. It's based off the play by Kemp Powers, and it has a great cast, without, including Leslie Odom Jr., Kingsley Benadire, Eli Gore, and Aldous Hodge. It follows four incredible men in Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, and Jim Brown, where they all meet together in a hotel room in the aftermath of Cassius Clay defeat of Sonny Liston in the 1964 World Championship. Yes, this is based off a play. It is set mostly in one room, but the writing by Kemp Powers absolutely shines through, and Regina King brings a brilliant directorial hand in guiding these scenes as these four men share different philosophies, different views on life, and how they're all working together, well, it seems like, to fight against the injustice and racism that they're facing in 1960s America. We have an amazing performance by Kingsley Benedict as Malcolm X. He brings the level of humanity and also the level of tension and paranoia that Malcolm X was feeling at the time, and we hear in his voice just how he implores his brothers to do all they can to fight for racial equality. We have another amazing Oscar-nominated performance by Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke, 
who is being criticized for not doing enough for the movement. And it's amazing to see his arc turn over the course of the movie. And his singing scenes are absolutely sensational. The whole cast is brilliant here. The conversations are directed in such a fluid way that you are riveted the whole time. And it's definitely worth checking this movie out. It is feels vital. It feels necessary even today in 2021. So go and check it out. It's on Amazon Prime right now for you to rent. And it is also getting released on Criterion, which it's not out yet, but you can get that on physical media soon if that is your choice. My number nine film is also based on a play. Spoiler alert, I've got three movies based off a play in my top 10. This movie is directed by George C. Wolfe and it's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. Well, I done learned that. And they're gonna treat me the way I wanna be treated no matter how much it hurt them. They're back there right now calling me all kinds of names. Calling me everything but a child of God. Of course, in 2020, we had the absolutely devastating news that Chadwick Boseman had passed away after battling with colon cancer for four years with hardly any people in the world knowing about it. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was his last film. Boy, it was sad to see that this was his last role. He absolutely delivers one of the best performances of the year. He's fiery, he's passionate, he brings a level of deep, deep pain and also deep, deep humanity into his role as Levy, one of the band players who accompanies Ma Rainey in this recording session where the movie is set. And as much as I praise Chadwick Boseman, we also can't forget to talk about Viola Davis as the titular Ma Rainey. She is so commanding and powerful. She brings such a strong presence and physicality to her role that she dominates every scene she's in. And it's truly fireworks when we see both Levy, played by Chadwick Boseman, and Ma Rainey in the same room in those scenes where they're together. This movie is also based off a play, but it is just incredible how dynamic it feels because of the performances, because of the music, because of the conversations between this white recording company who are trying to use Ma Rainey for her voice and not really anything else. And so just how Ma Rainey is able to wrestle with the power and a devastating end where she loses that power makes this story still feel very vital and relevant to today. It has great production design, great costumes, great makeup, Everything in the production is top-notch, and everyone in the cast is so, so amazing. It's based off a play by August Wilson, and you just need to watch the movie for the two monologues given by Chadwick Boseman. August Wilson's words are just so poetically brought to life by him, and I can't recommend this movie enough. You can watch it on Netflix right now. At number eight, we have the latest Pixar film, Soul. Look, I remember one time my dad took me to this jazz club, and that's the last place I wanted to be. But then I see this guy, and he's playing his chords with force on it. And then with a minor, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then he has the inner voices, and it's like he's, it's like he's singing. And I swear the next thing I know, it, it, it's like he floats off the stage. That guy was lost in the music. He was in it. 
and he took the rest of us with him. That's when I knew I was born to play. Directed by Pete Doctor and also co-directed by Kemp Powers, Soul follows Joe Gardner, who is a middle school teacher with a love for jazz music. After he gets a successful gig at the Half Note Club, he suddenly gets he suddenly gets into an accident that separates his soul from his body and is transported to the U Seminar, a center in which souls develop and gain passions before being transported to a newborn child. Joe must enlist help from the other souls in training, like 22, a soul who has spent eons in the U Seminar in order to get back to Earth. We have the incredible voice talents of Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey, but my favorite aspect of this movie is the Oscar-winning score by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste. What we have is this techno-fusion score with the otherworldly synth-like score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross combining with the original jazz compositions by John Batiste. The music in this film is its own character and absolutely brings this movie to life. What I love about this movie is the way it talks about passion. The way it talks about that your passion isn't your purpose. That for Joe, his passion had consumed his whole life to the point where he was missing out on most of living. He was missing out on the small moments that make life worth it because he was consumed by one thing. And while this movie doesn't tell us what our purpose on life is, it tells us to appreciate life and not let one thing dominate it. It was very freeing to get a message where we know that we can just enjoy life whether we end up living out our dream or pursuing our passion as our full-time career. It encourages us to pursue our passions but also to remember what makes life great. And yes, it's a Pixar film. I was a bit of a mess by the end of this movie and I can't recommend it enough. It's on Disney Plus right now. I believe it's released on physical media. Definitely go and check Soul out. At number seven, we have one of the most original movies of the year, Palm Springs, directed by Max Barbacow with a screenplay by Andy Sierra. We are born lost. Then we're found, but we're all just lost, am I right? Oh my God. However, in the darkness comes light. Tala Ann Wilder and Abraham Eugene Trenchleifen who do not look like siblings. You see their optimism, their selflessness. It's in their blood. And Tala, there's something that a lot of people here don't know about you, but they should. I hope you don't mind. It's not just time and money that Tala has given to so many charitable causes. She has also donated of herself bone marrow. That's right. She gave hers to her baby brother, Nico, saving his life. But now it's time for us to give to you. Here you are, standing on the precipice of something so much bigger than anyone here. And it may be frightening and filled with doubt, but always remember, you are not alone. Everyone here is your family. We are your world. And we will cheer you on with delight in our eyes as you achieve your wildest dreams. So raise a glass. We may be born lost, but now you are found. 
Palm Spring tells the story of carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah who have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding. Things get complicated as they're unable to escape the venue themselves or each other in a sort of time loop scenario. We have the amazing Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti in the two lead roles of this movie and in what seems like another fresh interpretation of the Groundhog Day type time loop. This one is original, it's hilariously funny, the chemistry between Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti is palpable and it has a beautiful message at the end of the movie about loving no matter what the consequences are. And it also wrestles with our purpose in life, meaninglessness of living the same day over and over again. And eventually the message comes through to live every single day like it's your last day on earth. It's very, very clever. I just had an absolute blast with this movie. And it's just so refreshing to get a really smart, sharply written original comedy in 2020. We don't get many of those. So definitely go check this out. It is on Amazon Prime. At number six... We have the latest Aaron Sorkin movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. I, Bobby G. Seale, have a motion pro se to defend myself. I'd like to invoke the president of Adams versus U.S. ex-rail McCann, where the Supreme Court... All right, is... that's enough. Where are you learning these things? Does your young friend, Mr. Hampton, have a background in law? Your Honor, the other defendants would like to join in Mr. Seale's motion. Are you now speaking on behalf of Mr. Seale? No, Your Honor, I'm speaking on behalf of the other defendants. You're standing right next to him. Why don't you just represent him? Because I'm not his lawyer, sir. If I understand Mr. Seale this last month and a half, and I believe I have, he is not represented by counsel. Overruled. I am being denied Mr. right Seale, now my constitutional be right for will you representation. Will you be quiet? You have lawyers to speak for you. No, he doesn't. Aaron Sorkin directs his second movie after 2017's Molly's Game, and he also wrote the screenplay. Of course, we already know Aaron Sorkin is an incredible writer, and he, I believe, he steps up his game as a director. Even though I wouldn't say he's on the level of some of our absolute best, his direction is fine, and his screenplay is absolutely sharp in this movie. The story follows what was supposed to be a peaceful protest that turned into a violent clash with the police. What follows in the movie is one of the most notorious trials in history. This movie has gone on a interesting route with its public opinion. Some seem to absolutely love it. Some seem to not like it. I still really, really like The Trial of the Chicago 7. Yes, the ending is a little bit oversimple, but I still can't get past the kinetic editing, the absolutely sharp writing, and the brilliant ensemble performance that won the SAG Ensemble Award in the past year. This movie, especially in 2020, felt so incredibly timely and brings a powerful message that the world really needs today. The whole world is watching. It implores the justice system, the police, to act with integrity and to work for the best of the people that they serve, rather than shutting down illegally these protests and bringing in police brutality. Discusses a number of different issues, has brilliant performances, a very sharp screenplay, and this was one of the first movies I watched back after the COVID pandemic in a full cinema. And boy, it was an amazing cinema experience. I definitely recommend you go and check this out, especially if you haven't heard of the 1968 Democratic Convention and the trial of the Chicago 7. It's definitely a good place to start. You can go and do more research on it later. It's on Netflix. It's a very good movie. 
I reckon you go and check it out. At number five, I've already talked about this movie a lot, but it's First Cow. First Cow has just hit cinemas in Australia and hopefully will be released in physical media sometime soon, so go and check it out if you can. But I was able to catch this on an American DVD on a Apple DVD player that accepted the US DVD. I worked really hard because I really wanted to see this movie here over in Australia. A loner and skilled cook travels west and joins a group of fur trappers in Oregon though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant called King Lu, who is also seeking his fortune, and the two collaborate on a successful baking business, although its longevity is reliant upon the clandestine participation of a nearby wealthy landowner's prized milking cow. I think that is the best plot summary of 2020, and Kelly Reichardt, this was my introduction to her films. This is a perfectly constructed, patient, tender, wholesome, beautiful film. At the center is the friendship between Cookie and King Lou, presented brilliantly by John Magaro and Orion Lee. Their tender relationship is just so different to the usual macho, toxic masculinity that we see these days, and is just such a powerful, platonic friendship that is so encouraging and beautiful and so affirming of each other that it's just so, so wonderful to see on screen. Of course, we have the oily cakes, the baking business, the amazing best animal of 2020, Eve the Cow, and a plot that plays like a slow burn thriller as they are covertly stealing milk and we wonder what's going to happen when eventually they may get found out. It is a movie that gently critiques capitalism, it weaves in beautiful themes, but most importantly, it is just a movie about friendship. It is just so delicately directed and it is unlike anything I've seen before and it's a definite recommend for me. I highly recommend you check this out and go in with an open mind wanting to see how this movie slowly builds and builds and builds and ends in such a tragic yet beautiful way. First Count is the best film and food movie of the year and my number five movie of 2020. At number four, the father. Yeah, my job is to help people who need help. <laughs> oh. Sounds like one of those girls you're always trying to dump off a maid here. Must be a difficult job though, isn't it? I mean, uh, spending all day with one of those. Ugh, I mean, I couldn't stand it. Am I right? What about you? What did you do for a living? Oh, I was a dancer. Were you? Yes. Dad? What? You're an engineer. What do you know about it? Yes, tap dancing was my specialty. Really? You seem surprised. Yeah, a little bit. Why, don't you believe me? Or you find that difficult to imagine? <laughs> of course, it's just, I've, I've always loved tap dancing. You really? Wow, I'm still great at it. I'll show you. Hi! <laughs> <laughs> Jolly good. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry. Directed by Florian Zeller, and based on the play that he also created, this is a movie all about the dementia 
of the main character, Antony. We are literally brought into his perspective as he struggles with the changes around him, with his daughter Anne, with the different places that he's moving to, leaving his flat, going to a home, where Anne might be living in the future, what's for dinner. All of these scenes appear in different orders and it's testament to the co-writer Christopher Hampton who did amazing movies like Dangerous Liaisons and Atonement of how the screenplay brings you into the mind of Antony as he experiences this dementia. As the audience, we also experience his confusion and his misunderstanding of how all of these events have played out. Of course, we have the Oscar-winning Tour de Force performance by Anthony Hopkins, 83 years old, and he has maybe gifted us with one of the best pieces of acting in his career. He's at times jovial and lighthearted and playful, and at other times utterly devastating and completely a mess as he's just screaming out for help. And he, he says himself he feels like he's lo- losing his leaves. As an audience member, you can't help but feel completely heartbroken and just wrenched on the inside as you empathize with what having dementia must be like. It is a beautiful ode to everyone who has suffered dementia, the carers and the family who look after them, and for the amazing people in the healthcare system that also take care of them. It is a love letter, it is a tough watch, but it is just a tour de force of filmmaking from the production design to the cinematography, to the performances by Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman, to the screenwriting. It is a tight 95-minute movie that is so effective and so powerful. And just as movies as an empathy machine, this one is just absolutely meticulously crafted to bring empathy out for Anthony, who is suffering so much from this dementia in his life. It is one of the best movies of 2020 and one that I definitely recommend you should go and check out. At number three, we have Promising Young Woman. Yes, but I left under unusual circumstances. I left because of what happened to Nina. Hmm. Nina Fisher. You don't remember her? Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh, yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a, he's a really nice guy, really smart. Are you a friend of his? No. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. Directed and written by Emerald Fennell in her directorial debut, Promising Young Woman tells the story of a young woman haunted by a tragedy in her past who takes revenge on the predatory men unlucky enough to cross her path. This is, without a doubt, one of the best-reviewed films of the year, but also one of the most divisive. It deals with a tough subject matter, sexual assault and abuse and suicide, and how this has affected Cassie's life, played excellently by Carrie Mulligan, and how she chooses to enact revenge and to and make up for what happened to her friend. As I already mentioned, Carrie Mulligan is maybe in her best role in this film. It has an amazing soundtrack, a really great score, really great costumes, a fantastic supporting performance by Bo Burnham, who is a national treasure. And it is so sharply written as it moves from scene to scene, exploring all of these themes and really bringing these issues to light in a way that makes the audience feel challenged and confronted 
and also challenges everybody to be a bit better. It challenges the stereotypes and often the terrible excuses that men use to do awful things to women. It feels like a very fiery movie with something to say and it is very, very well executed. The direction is great. The writing is great. You have to know that there are some very confronting things in the movie, but nonetheless, if you think this may be something for you, I highly encourage you to watch and come up with your own mind. This movie, above all, even if you don't like it, will generate a conversation, and a conversation, especially in Australia at the moment, which our government doesn't seem to understand uh, consent or anything in regards to behaving appropriately with women, this movie is sparking a conversation that is so relevant in society today and ultimately calling on men to be better. So I encourage you, if this is something you're interested in, go and check out Promising Young Woman. At number two, we have Hamilton. course all the rage back when this was released was is this a film is this a filmed play I believe that this is a film and I'm counting it in my top 10 because it was one of the best things released in 2020 we talked about it in one of my quick bites but there was a few ways that they filmed this show they filmed a few Broadway performances as well as doing a performance on the performers day off so they could get the cameras on stage to get those amazing close-ups of all of those amazing performances. And they edited it all together into this completely brilliant rendition and time capsule of this amazing Broadway play. Not everybody lives in New York. We don't all get to see Broadway plays, and this was a smash hit. I had no real knowledge of Hamilton before watching this on Disney+. And boy, oh boy, was I blown away. Lin-Manuel Miranda is a genius. He wrote the book. He wrote the songs. He wrote the whole play. He performs as the titular Hamilton, and it's just a feat of storytelling. The songs are brilliant. The performances are brilliant. David Diggs, Renee Elise Goldsberry, Philippa Sue, Chris Jackson, they're all incredible. And this movie still comes up every now and then. I hear the soundtrack on Spotify, and I just get drawn in. And it tells the story of the founding of America, the battle for freedom against England, and all of these stories, and specifically the story of Alexander Hamilton, his flaws and his successes, and it is just a really great time capsule of what America strove to be when it was founded, and also how it hasn't really reached those goals, and some of the flaws of the men who founded it. It's definitely worth checking out, just if you have not really been exposed to the theatre, the choreography, costumes, staging, everything about it is just so incredible and the soundtrack is going to stay with you forever and ever. So definitely, if you haven't seen it yet, go and check out 
Hamilton on Disney+. We're finally here. My number one film of 2020 is Nomadland. We not only accept the tyranny of the dollar, the tyranny of the marketplace, we embrace it. Uh, we gladly throw the yoke of the tyranny of the dollar on and live by it our whole lives. I think of an analogy as a workhorse. The workhorse that is willing to work itself to death and then be put out to pasture. And that's what happens to so many of us. If society was throwing us away and sending us the workhorse out to the pasture, we workhorses had to gather together and take care of each other. And that's what this is all about. The way I see it is that the Titanic is sinking and uh, economic times are changing. And so my goal is to get the lifeboats out and get as many people into the lifeboats as I can. No Man Land just won Best Picture, Best Director and Best Actress at the Academy Awards and for good reason. This is the third film by writer, director and editor Chloe Zhao and this is a semi-docudrama following Fern who loses her job and loses her husband in the financial crisis and ends up living in her van and joining in with a group of van dwellers and nomads and we follow her journey along the road. Chloe Zhao is a brilliant and interesting filmmaker. She used mostly non-professional actors in this movie. Apart from Frances McDormand and David Strathairn, all the characters are real people playing versions of themselves. Frances McDormand in the lead role is interacting and listening and being a part of real conversations with real people, which turns this film into a, a semi-documentary, semi-fictional film. And this is the most empathetic and human film of the year for me. It is so, so invested in its characters. It is so able to just get out of the way and let us see characters in all of their dimensions, especially Fern. We see her grief, we see her listen, we see her interact and slowly start to become a part of a community. And we see later on that she still really needs to be part of a community to deal with the loss and the struggle she's in. And obviously this is something that is so different to what most people are used to. We see her encounter people who think she's homeless. We encounter people who think she's doing the wrong thing, especially a key scene where she's back home with her sister and she's being challenged on you know, not buying a house and not having a regular job and all of those kind of things. It's a fascinating look into this culture, but it's also the movie we needed in 2020. Extremely empathetic, extremely human, and just incredibly touching and an ode to the humanity of us all. Chloe Zhao uses the music of Ludovico Anuardi. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, but his music is absolutely perfectly suited to this film. It is so melancholic and so beautiful with its piano theme. And of course, the cinematography by Joshua James Richards is sublime. We have so much magic hour cinematography. It's mostly all natural lighting. And we just go along the journey as we witness Fern in all of these incredible places. And we see that she really is experiencing the wonder of all the nature around her. Some of us start to feel that maybe these nomads have a better idea of living life than some of us who are stuck in the routine of going to work and earning money and paying off a house where we could be experiencing the freedom that these nomads enjoy. I love how this is shot and edited. There's a beautiful scene where we have real-life people around a campfire sharing their experiences that made them a nomad. And that was sort of the scene that really made this my number one of the year. It's so 
incredibly powerful at capturing these real human stories and bringing them to life in a uniquely cinematic way. This is a slow film that takes its time and really revels in the scenes and the nature and the beauty and the characters. And it is just one of the best films of the year and my number one of 2020. Well, that about does it for this week's episode. Thank you for joining us for our celebration episode for our top 10 films of 2020 and for our Film and Food Awards. We have so much planned for this next year, so thank you for joining us and we're excited to keep bringing you more film and food inspired content for you at home. And remember to get in touch with us. Let us know how we can improve, what we can be doing and how we can get you involved more and more with the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, can I ask you a favor? Would you be able to give it a five-star rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts? We are getting more and more listeners. This helps us to rise up the ranks and get into the ears of people who really need to hear our show. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, and anywhere where you find podcasts. Make sure you email us. The address is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. That's fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. And join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Let us know your favorite moment of the past year of the Film and Food Podcast. What do you think of my top 10 films of 2020 and my Film and Food Awards of the past year? Give us feedback, suggest a movie to review. The most important thing is to join the conversation. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening.